Today, we are launching a new series. And the series is titled, The Journey. The Journey. Now, what is a journey? And, and, I, and I'm a definitions guy. I love definitions. A journey is going from one place to another. It's like actual definition of the word journey, if you look it up, is the act of traveling from one place to another. Now, as we talk about the journey, I, I, I'll tell you a little bit about this picture in the background. I took that picture. In March, when we went on our vacation to Hawaii, that is Kualua Ranch or Kualua Valley. It's used for all countless movies, and Jurassic Park was filmed there, that big entryways. It's known actually as Jurassic Valley. And, you know, this trip that we went on, it was amazing. I, I've been to Hawaii a couple times in, in my life, and every single time has been different. Now, as I tell you about this trip, I'm reminded, I want to remind you something. We were supposed to go on this trip in May of 2020. We started planning for it towards the end of 2018. We had planned for a year and a half, almost two years, saving, buying airfare, doing all these things. And then we got this massive blow called COVID, right? And COVID derailed that trip. I did not have, we didn't get to experience it. But can I tell you something? I didn't say, forget it. I'm never going on vacation again. Right? I, I, I didn't like, like that's it, forget it. We planned all this, we did all this, and it was for nothing. I, that's it. I will never leave Miami. That's not what I did. As a matter of fact, it got canceled, and we immediately started figuring out a plan of when we would make it come to pass, of when we would go. See, in our life, when we go on journeys or trips or vacation, even the most well-thought-out one and planned one can have a hiccup. But our response is never, that's it, I'm never going again. Our response is, well, the next one will be better. Well, I can't wait to do another trip. I can't wait to do something else. So why is it that in the journey of faith, the minute that something doesn't go the way we want, our flesh wants to respond by saying, I want nothing to do with God. See, that's what I want to talk about is the faith journey. And actually, better said, I want to talk about your faith journey. Actually, say it this morning, my faith journey. See, it was by design that the your is popping out in the word journey. I want to talk about your journey, my journey. And as we start talking about the faith journey, there's a few things that I want us to understand. Number one is this. No two journeys are the same. No two journeys are the same. As a matter of fact, you can jump on an airplane right now. And go to Hawaii, and I can give you the exact itinerary we did. Everything we did down to every day, every minute, the hotel room, the car, all the different stuff. And your experience will be different. You might have more turbulence on your flight. You might have better food than the flight we had on our food. Our food was horrible <laughs> on the plane. We're like, oh, this next time, like on the way back, we like loaded the airplane with like granola bars, sandwiches, all kinds of stuff. We're like, we're bringing it with us. We're not relying on that airplane food this time, right? You, you might have a different journey, but something happens in our faith walk where we try to replicate people's journeys, not understanding that, that Javi's faith journey is different than Chris's faith journey or different than Ed's faith journey and different than my faith journey. We try to replicate it and, made and model our lives according to the journey of faith of someone else. But when you look through scripture, not two people had the same journey. Like you look at Abraham, the guy did not have the same journey as his son. Isaac's journey was different. Jacob's journey was different. 
David's journey was different. Peter's journey was different. Paul's journey was different. Every single person. Deborah's journey was different. Jael's uh, uh, journey was different. Aunt Mary's journey was different. The other Mary's journey was different. And the other Mary's journey was different. Right? Like, so many Marys. But they all, they all had different journeys. So why is it that in our humanity, we try to live our faith journey in the same way that someone else lived their faith journey? That's a problem. Because when I try to live out what you're doing and the way that it worked for you instead of the way that God said for me to do it, I'm trying to live out somebody else's experience and I'm always going to be disappointed. I'm always going to be disappointed if I'm trying to shoot for the experience that somebody else has because here's the reality. I don't know and you don't know what's happening in the secret place that got them to the place where they are. You don't know what, you, what the other person went through that shaped them in God to get to where they are. You don't know my experience. You don't know what I went through. You don't know the time with God. You don't know the time that I wasn't with God. You don't know these things. So we cannot, we need to understand, this is very important, that everyone's faith journey is different. No two journeys are identical. Now, again, I'm a definitions guy. What does the word faith mean according to the dictionary? It's this, complete trust in someone or something. If you look it up in the dictionary, this is what you find. Faith, complete trust in someone or something. Again, someone or something. All of you in here this morning, and I'm assuming everybody online as well, exhibited faith a couple of minutes ago. Oh, what do you mean you exhibited faith? Yeah, even you guys online, you exhibited faith too. And you're like, what are you even talking about? Everybody, when I said, hey, have a seat, just plop down. I didn't see any of you go down and check, is this chair going to hold me? Is this chair going to like collapse under me? That you, you, you put your faith, I'm trying to give you a concrete visual. You put your faith in something that it was going to hold you or sustain you. So then I bring you to this question. Who or what do we have our faith in? So let's go to Mark chapter 11. Who or what do we have our faith in? Mark chapter 11 it is warm in here today, is it? Is it just me? Goodness gracious. No, I'm going to buy myself one of those little fans that go around the neck. You know what I'm preaching? Mark 11, verse number 20. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Now, we'll pause there for a second. Jesus had entered triumphantly into Jerusalem and he was hungry and he went to go to that fig tree to get a fig, but there was none, so Jesus cursed the tree. So the next morning, they're walking by and the disciples are like freaked out that it happened. Look at what Peter says. It says, Peter, remembering, said to him, Jesus, look! The fig tree which you cursed, it withered away. The dude was shocked. I don't know why he was shocked, but he was shocked. And Jesus answers very lovingly. He looks at him and says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. The word faith in the original language is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it means an assurance. It means a confidence. It means a reliance, a trust. That is what you're doing with faith. And he says, put your assurance, put your confidence, put your trust in God. And then he says in verse 23, for assuredly I say to you, Whoever says this to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, 
but believe that those things will be, he will, ha- will be done. Whatever he says, sorry, I got lost there. Be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Well, let's break this down a little bit. Let's talk about a few of the things. Number one, we asked the question, who, what do we have our faith in? Well, our faith must be completely in God. You know, some people have partial faith in God. Partial faith don't work. Have you ever tried to turn on a light that the circuit is only partially working? It don't work. I mean, from science experiments in elementary school, you got to complete the circuit for the light bulb to turn on. If anything in the circuit's not working, the light does not turn on. If you have partial faith in what you're praying about or believing for, it's not going to come to pass. So number one, we have to put all of that faith in God. But the second thing is this, faith and doubt cannot coexist. Faith and doubt cannot coexist. What did Jesus say? Whoever says this, says to this mountain, be moved, right? And mountain is figurative. It's not like we're walking, I'm going to walk down as I got the faith. Kualua Valley, jump into the ocean, right? Like, like he's talking about when you're facing an obstacle, a problem, a circumstance, a thing. If you've got faith and you believe it without doubting where? In your heart. Faith and doubt cannot coexist. I wrote it down this way. I think this is an easy way for us to remember it. Your faith overcomes doubt or your doubt quenches your faith. Your faith will overcome doubt or your doubt quenches the faith, but you can't have both. Why did they think Elijah was bananas when he was fighting or or, or challenging the prophets of Baal? Like if you read the story, you think the guy is nuts. Why? He tells them, bring 12 buckets of water and pour it on the wood. Then he says, do it again and do it again. The Bible says there was so much water that the entire trough, the entire hole was covered in water. If you're trying to light a campfire, if you're trying to light something, you don't wet the wood. You look for wood that's dry. Because wet wood will not catch fire. And in the same way, faith will not work if there's doubt in your heart. Now, let's think about this for a second. I hear this question all the time. Well, if God is so loving, why is that person going through this? Why didn't that person receive their healing? Why is it that I'm going through this divorce or this situation with my spouse or this situation financially? Like, if God was so loving, why is it? Or why is it that the prayer of that person came to be and my prayer has not? Well, I'll ask you a couple of questions when we talk about the doubt. Is there doubt in the heart that is nullifying the faith? See, you don't know, and I don't know what the prayer was like. You don't know if it was a sincere prayer or if it was a prayer that was aligning to what God said. Can I be vulnerable? I've said it before. My parents got divorced when I was little. I was two years, I was two years old. As a matter of fact, the running joke from me to my parents was that they got divorced on my birthday because that's the day that the court stamped it. <laughs> so again, you guys give me a divorce for my birthday. I would, say, I would say that as a joke, right? But, you know, I know it. Anyways, it's not funny, but it, it, it was funny to me. Hey, some of y'all laughed, so it was somewhat funny. So I came to Jesus when I was eight. 
and um, earnestly fell in love with God. Now, on Father's Day, I talked to you about unforgiveness, and I talked about my relationship with my dad, and, and, and I have an amazing relationship with my dad. I always have, and until this day, uh, I have an amazing relationship with my dad. And so, because I have a relationship with my dad, and I had it, and I had a great relationship with my mom, part of this 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old's prayer daily was, God, get my parents back together. Earnestly, I would pray that. And my mom sat me down and said, you cannot pray for that. Your dad has since remarried. I didn't understand that as a little kid. And she taught me, you are praying for something that goes against what God says. You are praying for something. Your dad didn't know Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. As a matter of fact, at that time, my dad didn't know Jesus. He didn't come to Jesus until I was like 21 years old. But through all of those formative early years and teenage years, my mom would have to sit me and say, you're praying for something. And, 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 and my stepmom is like a second mom, and I love her, and she was great. There was nothing wrong with her. It was just my prayer was a desire that I wanted for me, but it didn't align to the word of God. So I could look and maybe say, well, why isn't that my prayer is not being answered? Well, is our prayer aligning to what God says? Are we praying for something that goes against the heart of God? Because sometimes we don't realize it. We're praying for something we want and we desire, and it may be a good thing, but it doesn't align with the word of God. It doesn't align with what he says. So our prayer needs to align to his will. It's part of the reason why Jesus teaches us to pray, let your will be done. And we learn his will by spending time with him. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but I, I need us to understand there are things that quench us or stop our prayers from being answered. And we can, we're going to be talking about faith this entire month. So let me not get too ahead of myself today. But one of those things is when our prayers don't align to what God says. Praying for something that doesn't align. Or if there is doubt, any little bit of doubt stops it from coming. Taking our eyes off of him will stop us from getting there. So faith overcomes doubt or our doubt will quench our faith. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This is probably one of the most famous passages on faith. As a matter of fact, we quote it as a definition of faith, but I want us to look at it slightly different today, and not necessarily as a definition of faith, but more an example of how faith is working. Watch. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Go back to verse number one, one more time. Now, faith is the substance. Again, this is a description of how faith works. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So let's break this down. Faith is believing before seeing. We don't see it yet, but we believe it. When you look at the verse, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance, again, I already told you what the word faith is, is the word pistis. So if you were reading, it says pistis is the hypostasis. Hypostasis is the word that is there for substance. 
And what that word connotes or means is the title deed. Like in that time, that's what you reference when you use that word hypostasis. You had the deed, the title to a property. And so how is faith working? It is saying, I have the title deed for that which I am believing for that I cannot see yet. A few years ago, my mom was involved in a, in a car accident. And the car was mine, and, and I had given it to her, so she was driving the car. And, um, and so when, when the car was claimed as a total loss, I got something from the insurance company that says, well, in order to receive your check, we need the title. I had to prove to them that it was mine. And the title was the document that proved and then gave me the check, right? And so what is faith? And how is it tied? How does it work? It is laying hold to the title deed of that which God has promised you and me. And we don't know what God has promised us if we do not get into the word of God. Because then I ask you this question, how do we grow in our faith? The Bible tells us that everybody's been given a measure of faith. Did you know that? We're all given a measure of faith. It's not that someone has more faith than you. It's that someone has developed their faith more than you. It's like a muscle. We develop our faith. So how do we grow in our faith? How do we develop our faith? The answer is found in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 actually says this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you know what's part of the situation with a lot of believers today? We read more of what other people have to say about God than the word of God. Don't misunderstand me. Reading a book written by another pastor or leader uh, 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 is nothing wrong with reading. But if we are basing our faith and our Christianity on someone else's revelation of God instead of about your personal devotional time with God, we're having a problem. Did you know that in today's society right now, we have a gazillion internet preachers and pastors? A gazillion of them. Many of them spewing their own opinions of stuff. We need to be based on what the word of God says. I love my kids. My kids are awesome. And um, the other day, they, they had gone with Patty to uh, a service. And uh, they got back home. And Patty was telling me about the message and the message that was brought and, and these things that really you know, brought her conviction and, and really ministered to her heart. And then I asked Alexandra, how was service? And she said, I didn't like the pastor. I didn't like the message. She's nine years old. And I said, Alexandra, why didn't you? She's, he's like, he lost me. And I was like, what happened? He was like, he never opened his Bible and never read a scripture. Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> nine years old. And she recognized and said, nothing that they said did they open the Bible and have a foundation for? He quoted a lot of verses, but never did he have us open it. Guys, I encourage you to daily open the word of God. It's one of our values as a church. We talk about it all the time for a few reasons. Number one, you cannot grow in your faith if you don't know what God says and who God says you are. That's one reason. Here's another reason. You will never be able to identify if what somebody is telling you 
is from God or not if it's not rooted in the word and you don't know what the word says. I mean, I tell you all the time, if I ever say anything that's contrary to what the Bible says, I'm wrong and the Bible is? I say it all the time. And I don't say it just to say it. No, I'm, I honestly believe it. If it is contrary to what God says, I'm wrong. And let's take it a step further. It needs to be there a few times. Because I've met many a preacher, many a pastor who will use one little sentence in one obscure verse to make an entire doctrine out of it. However, when you read the word of God entirely from beginning to end, you will see that all of it interconnects and intertwines. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that inspired it all. God breathed. So when somebody just wants to make this whole thing out of one little piece of a verse, that should be like flares shooting up in the sky. Beware. Beware. Or when somebody takes one little specific thing and not the rest of it, like... (laughs) My wife preaches better than me, I believe, at least. She preached last week. It was amazing. If you haven't heard the 9 a.m. service, it's online. It was an amazing, timely word for today. But there are so many people that believe that women cannot be in full-time ministry or that women can't be up on the platform or on the altar to preach. And they stand on a section of the verse where Paul says, I do not allow women to speak. And what Paul is really saying, I don't allow women to have authority over men. So notice in our church structure here, I usually, I don't, I don't meet with women unless I have another person with me present. My wife pastors women. My wife deals with the women. I deal with the men. She's not pastoring men. So she's not out of line with what the scripture says. That's one part of it. But my argument to all these people is, hey, wait a second. A few verses before that, it talks about women not being ordained or, 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 or adorned with a with things, and it talks about the hair, and it talks about, like, dude, like, I just saw your wife wearing earrings and makeup. What about that part of the Bible? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, why are you building all this whole thing about one little thing? When you see throughout all of Scripture, I'm sorry, I don't know who this is for this morning, but you got to hear it. Deborah, one of the judges, woman. Jael, who was used by God to kill Sisera and bring deliverance, was a woman. Who was the first person that Jesus showed up to and gave the instruction to go tell the disciples that he was alive? A woman. I was reading in Acts this morning or yesterday morning, talking about the disciple or the, the person that had four daughters and they were unmarried and all were prophetess. Like, like the Bible is full of women being used by God. No me venga con ese cuento. Like, sorry, guys, that was a Spanish one. That, that doesn't sound well in English. That story don't fly. <laughs> we need to know what the Word of God says and then stand on the Word of God. I had one guy who used to come to our church, didn't leave mad, they moved away to another state, but we were doing a small group, and my wife led the small group, And at the end of the six weeks, he came and sat down with me, and he opened his Bible, and he said, and he just, all he did was, he read to me the verse of Paul. And I said, all right, let's go through scripture. 
and we started going through all this. And I think I'm not digressing a little bit, but I, somebody needs to hear this today. Somebody, some, maybe some of you women need to be empowered today that God can and wants to use you. And some man and some person has told you before that all you could do was do a certain little thing for God. Like what's one of the most annoying things? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go there. In certain denominations and churches, a woman can be a children's director. But if it was a man with the same title, they would be called a children's pastor. That's wrong. That's wrong. So I sat with this person and I just took him through all scripture. It says that Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, who were pastoring Ephesus together, sat with Apollos and instructed him in the right way. And it talked about the woman doing it under the authority of her husband. I am the head of 3W Church. My wife operates under my authority. That is completely scriptural. Be released today and freed. That women are called and used by God in every arena and in every facet. And I can back it up from Genesis to Revelation. We can talk offline if you need it. But your faith will not grow if you don't know what the word says. So how do we do it? We need to encounter God daily. We need to read the word daily. Daily. Let me free you a little bit more this morning. Because I know that for me, I've had times in my life where, again, I'm mimicking someone else's walk. And I say things like, well, what they do is unattainable. I don't have that time. I don't have that. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I actually had this conversation with my pastor two weeks ago. See, two weeks ago in my one-on-one call with my pastor, his question to me was, David, how are you doing in your devotional life? I have a devotional plan and what it looks like. And I said, Pastor, January through the beginning of June, I was doing amazing these last few week, weeks, I've been out of rhythm. And he said, and, and he's like, okay. And I said, here's the thing. I got three kids and they're in some. And that has looked a little differently because they're not at school. They don't have a 7 p.m. bedtime because they don't have a 6 a.m. wake up, right? Like things have looked a little different. I'm going to sleep a little later because I'm doing stuff with them. And so I'm still reading, but I'm getting a few days behind sometime. I'm, I'm, every day I pursue. And he said, David, you got to understand that the importance is God wants your time. There might be a moment or a season where it fluctuates a little bit, but don't enter a condemnation about it. And I told him, you know, Pastor, when you first started pastoring me, and you would talk about your encounters with God, how you would spend, you know, two, three hours in the morning with God, I used to tell my wife, but that's unattainable. They don't have any children. They don't have any things. I can't do that. He doesn't know what And I said, I used to think that, Pastor. <laughs> it's very honest, right? <laughs> I was like, I used to think that. And some of you might look and say, well, oh, but I can't have the same devotional life. And that's true. Your life may look different. Here's what we need to do. Be intentional on having a plan of spending time with God. And right now, it might look like for you that it's 10 minutes a day. And other times, it could be 15 or 20. But don't enter condemnation and be like, that's it. I'm not going to do it because, you know, if I can't do a full workout, why work out at all? 
Anybody ever said that before? I can't do a two-mile walk, so why am I going to go for a walk at all? Well, at least get the half mile in. Because you know what happens when we have that mentality? At least, maybe again, maybe not you. This is me. Well, I already didn't go for a walk, so might as well eat the pizza. <laughs> and might as well have the this. And might as well, right? I already messed up, right? Like, you ever, any, come on, let's be honest, right? Like, like, we do that. So think about it. In the spirit, man, well, I already didn't spend time with God today, so what's one more thing? Mm, oh, that one hurt, I know. I heard somebody say this week that good preaching will either convict you of sin or make you hate the preacher, one or the other. It's okay. Some people do. It's all right. So good. They don't hate me. I've, I've grown. I have matured. I know that they don't reject me. They're rejecting God, and, and, and I'm okay. I don't get hurt by those things anymore. But our faith is going to grow or develop in as much as we spend time with God. Can I add another word to it? Quality time with God. If you're focused on three things, what you read, you're not going to attain. You're not going to retain. So if what you could give God undivided that morning was five minutes, give him undivided five. It's going to be better than 30 interrupted. We were on a little mini trip this week. Um, God ordains things. I said at the beginning, sometimes the most well-thought-out journeys or trips can have a hiccup. Sometimes the ones you plan the least, God takes care of. It's the faith journey. And so last year when I was on sabbatical in the summer, uh, we did a 17-day road trip, and uh, we ended the road trip at Kennedy Space Center. I had never been to Ken or the kids had never been to Kennedy Space Center. I hadn't been there since I was in high school or whatever, and, and uh, we ended up uh, getting an annual pass for it uh, just because my wife gets hers for free as an educator, and the price difference for the, the girls and me from one day to the annual pass, the price difference was like, I don't know, 60 or 80 bucks. So it was like, all right, that makes sense. And so we've done several times throughout the year we visited, and our passes expire this week. And so about a month ago, we, my wife and I were talking. I was like, hey, you know, what are we going to do in the summer? We already did our big annual vacation. Let's do something with the girls. And we said, oh, let's go to Kennedy Space Center right before our passes expire. And so I started looking online for the hotel we usually stay at. And there's like a baseball tournament taking place this weekend. So the, and it's 4th of July. So the hotel we regularly stay at was like ridiculously more expensive than regular. And I was like, all right, I'll find another one. So I found this other one. And, um, and, and, and so I, I book it. We never stayed at it before. It's a Marriott. We always stay at Marriott's or whatever. Like some people ask me, well, you want a road trip? Did you take like a, like a, like did you like, you know, go on a camp around the country? I was like, no, I'm Marrioted around the country. I'm not an RV guy. <laughs> Marriott around the country. So we, we, we get there, right? And, and so we get into Kennedy Space Center. And there was a new exhibit. We knew it was coming. We wanted to see it. And as we're walking over, I start seeing all these signs that say, launch viewing this way. Launch viewing this way. And I was like, there was no launch scheduled for today. And I looked that up. And, and, and I go ask somebody. I was like, what is this? And they said, yeah, there was a launch scheduled yesterday. And there was lightning, so it got canceled, and they rescheduled it for today. I was like, I've never seen a launch in person. My kids in there, this is going to be awesome, right? And so we start, you know, we're doing all these different things, and, and uh, we go and we sit in this area, and the time strikes 6 p.m. 
And there's a launch window. It was a two-hour window because it was a Space Force rocket that was being launched with some satellites, military satellites for Space Force. And it was very cool. I like military stuff. Anyways, uh, sorry. I'm geeking off. Whether they're, they're saying, hey, there's some atmospheric things going on. We don't know if the launch is going to happen or when it's going to happen. And my children, specifically Samantha, gets hangry. So we're like, let's, just, let's go to the hotel. We'll try to watch it from the hotel, this, that, or the other. So we like race over to the car. We drive over to the hotel only to realize that this hotel has a restaurant on the top floor called the Space Bar with a perfect view where launch is going to be from, which was included for us because we were Marriott members or whatever. So we get there and they give us this wristband. It's like, go upstairs. We, we get upstairs to the restaurants. We get to order food. We're sitting there right in the corner. And all of a sudden, I have a picture of it there. I don't know if you're able to put it up. We get to see this rocket go up into space. Guys, I didn't plan it. I didn't pick the hotel because I knew it. But as you're trusting in God in your faith journey, he will do things that exceed your expectation. You know what was really cool? About, he, he asked, did you feel it? We felt it about a minute later. So it took off, and about a minute later, the entire building shook because it took all the waves to get there to where you were. And everything, and, and, and I, we looked around, I was like, what is it? I was like, that was the thing. And Patty's like, no way. And the other people who watched all the time was like, yep, that, it, it got here now. It, it, was, it was an amazing experience on our journey that our girls are never going to forget that I couldn't have planned no matter how much I did, no matter how much I think. Like, I couldn't make the weather be a certain way. I couldn't make the thing. God took care of it. But my faith journey is different than your faith journey. The key is that you go on your journey. Are you walking in it? Some of you know our testimony of children. We were told by doctors we couldn't have kids. And I used to say, when we got the letter, my wife and I said, no, we're in faith. For about six to eight months, I was in faith with a heck of a whole lot of doubt. I, I, I try to be transparent with you guys. I wasn't really in faith. I just said it. My heart didn't know if it would really happen or not. Until December of 2009, a moment where I saw her brokenness when we thought maybe we were pregnant and her menstrual cycle appeared at a baby shower of all places. And that day, something awakened and shifted and doubt went out the window. And we didn't drive home. We drove to Babies R Us and we became Babies R Us members. And we started buying stuff for a baby that doctors said we couldn't have. And we started doing all these things. And I share my testimony. God can do it. Now, what is the key here? We did what God told us to do. You can't now look and say, well, they were believing for a baby and they went and became Babies R Us members. That's it. I'm out of gas because Babies R Us went out of business. So I can't do what Pastor did. <laughs> you, get the, you, get, you get what I'm trying to get at there. My faith journey, it's what God told me to do, us to do, and that released the blessing. Here's the key to your journey. 
as you're spending time with God, he will tell you what you need to do. Go do it. Go do it. And you will see him. Worship team, run up to the altar quick. You will see him show up as you trust in him. As you put your complete trust in him. Not a partial trust. Not when things are good. Man, what does the Bible tell us to do? It tells us to bless our enemies. It tells us to pray for those who hurt you. It says to love on those who do this to you and use you and all of that. What are we supposed to do? The exact opposite of the flesh wants to do. Because the flesh wants to blame God. The flesh wants to take the easy way out. But faith is grabbing the title deed and knowing it was signed over to me. See, when you find saving faith in Jesus and a encounter with God and he becomes your Lord and Savior, everything in here is deeded to you. It's just a matter of knowing what's there, standing on it, and saying, come what may, I'm walking in this journey. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going because my God can and my God will. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning and worship him for a minute or two. As you just close your eyes right there where you are, perhaps you walked in this morning or you tuned in online and and you had never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you have been doubting in your faith and you even ask yourself the question, am I even truly saved? And I remember, I remember being 14 years old or so, sitting at a youth retreat and asking, am I really saved? And perhaps that's you, perhaps you're here today and you're like, I, I think I am, but I don't even know. I, I want you to know something. Faith in God gives you assurance of what it is. And what does the Bible say that it takes? It says that it takes believing Jesus is the Son of God and confessing that with your mouth. So today, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life or you want to get right with him, surrender to him, and I'm going to pray it with you. And I ask you, if, if you do know Jesus, just pray along with him to encourage him to know. And to say this with me, say, God, I'm a sinner. And on my own, I can't get to you. But I believe Jesus is your son. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the grave to pay the price for my sin. So today, I ask Jesus, come and live in my heart. Write my name in the book of life. From now on, God, I'm yours. And you are mine. In Jesus' name. As we worship for a minute, I wanted you to celebrate knowing that that prayer, saying it, believing it in your heart, there's a party going on in heaven right now because you've given your life to him. But as we worship, perhaps today, this morning, the Lord has reminded you of some doubt in you or some prayers that didn't align to what you know he has said to do. As we worship, take a minute to talk to God. You know, I told you about me. I was, I was praying for something that went against what God said. Perhaps that's you this morning.
have a minute to repent, to get right and say, God, forgive me for this. God, I surrender it to you. Just take a moment in his presence.